0: Welcome, and thank you for standing by. At this time, all participants will be on listen only until the question and answer session of today's conference. At that time, you may press star one to ask a question. Today's conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, please disconnect at this time. I'd now like to turn the call over to the Honorable Jane Harmon, Director, President, and CEO of the Wilson Center. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Operator, and good morning to uh, many of you on the east coast of the United States. Good early evening to some of you, including one of our participants uh, from the Middle East uh, region. uh, Thanks for tuning in to the Wilson Center's 158th Ground Truth Briefing. I am not making this up. It's an astounding number of times in the last several years, uh, predating Corona 19, uh, uh, the Corona 19 uh, virus, the COVID 19 virus, that we have done things like this, but we have accelerated our number of what we call GTBs during this crisis, and we're happy today that our Middle East program and our Science, Technology, and Innovation program called STIP, are joining forces to discuss COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation. Uh, Our experts will dig into how these two names differ, that is misinformation and disinformation, and discuss how they are spreading, uh, in addition to uh, the virus, sadly, in some parts of the Middle East. Collaborative events like today's are the reason, uh, I can say in all objectivity, that the Wilson Center has been voted by our peers out of 6,500 think tanks, uh, the number one think tank in the world uh, for regional expertise for three years in a row. We're all aware that, COVID, that the COVID-19 crisis has been classified a pandemic. But did you know that officials at the WHO have also called it an infodemic? That's a word I'd never heard before. I'll repeat it, infodemic. Just as the virus spreads through social contact Misinformation and disinformation rapidly spread through social media, burying scientific evidence and expert knowledge deeper in our news feeds. Some of this information is incorrect but well-intentioned advice, like, quote, drinking warm water every 15 minutes kills the virus, unquote. But some of it is spread for more nefarious purposes, in the form of propaganda or conspiracy theories that target governments, certain ethnic or racial groups, and public health officials. In the Middle East, social media platforms have become carriers of misinformation, like the virus causes infertility in men, or religious people will be protected by God. Unfortunately, even trusted media outlets have spread a conspiracy that the virus was created in a US lab in order to harm the region. The infodemic has further complicated government response efforts, and has prompted some to take even more stringent lockdown measures, including curfews and punitive measures if curfews are broken. Here to discuss all this are uh, Bayan Al-Tal, a communications expert in the Jordan Media Institute in Amman. Uh, he uh, is talking to us from Amman. And Faisal al Mutar, uh, an Iraqi-American who is co-founder and president of Ideas Beyond Borders. What a wonderful title. Introducing our speakers, moderating our discussion, and weighing in with her own expertise is the one and only Nina Jankowitz, the Wilson Center's very own Disinformation Fellow. It's an amazing name. Um, she, (laughs) uh, She is far more than disinformation, but that is her title. Uh, but first, uh, let me uh, hand things to uh, Marissa Horma, our fabulous Project Director of our Middle East Special Initiatives uh, um, um, Project at the Wilson Center, who will give some opening remarks. Uh, over to you, Marissa.
0: Thank you, Congressman Harmon, uh, for your introduction. As you noted, uh, misinformation and disinformation are a global phenomenon and certainly not unique to the MENA region. But we decided today to hone in on the Middle East, not only to explore the specificities of the regional context in which these conspiracy theories are spread, but also to compare it to trends on the global scene. There are so many important components to this quote-unquote infodemic that uh, needs to be unpacked and we're truly looking forward to uh, the discussion. So before I hand it over to you, Nina, to kick us off, I'd like to share our top misinformation and disinformation picks that have been circulating across the region. Some of them, um, Congresswoman Harmon already mentioned. So the first, um, in addition to drinking hot water every 15 minutes, eating garlic will help protect you from the virus. Um, According to a columnist in the Saudi newspaper, the virus is an effort by Western pharmaceuticals to profit by selling the cure and a vaccine. Um, number three, and this is, of course, um, a conspiracy theory that has been propagated by many official networks, that the virus is part of a US-led economic war on China. Number four, um, and this was um, tweeted by an Emirati columnist, the virus is a Qatar concoction meant to sabotage Dubai 2020 Expo 2020 and the Saudi um, 2030 plan. Um, number five, um, faith in God praying five times a day um, will help you prote- will help protect you from the virus. Um, and a recent one that I just picked up from the Washington Post this weekend um, was one going around in Egypt that Egypt has somehow found a cure for COVID and is defeating the virus. So. Um, there's a lot more going around, and of course, many of these are very dangerous. Some of, some of them, as you can see, are highly politicized. Others are simple enough that people, um, as Congresswoman Harmon, will just take it as advice um, and, and follow through with it. So much more to discuss. Uh, so with that, I'll turn it over to you, Nina, um, to lead the discussion. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much, Marissa, and thank you, Congresswoman Harmon, for that introduction. I'm so happy to be here today, um, and I hope everyone on the line is staying safe and healthy. Two reminders before I launch in. If you have a question that uh, comes up during the uh, remarks, we'll be taking a Q&A at the end, so you can press star 1 to enter the queue for questions. And we are on the record today. As Jane said, I am the disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center, and while my regional focus has always been about Russia and Eastern Europe, my fellowship and research has brought me to all corners of the world because, um, as Marissa said very correctly, disinformation is a global trend that social media has exacerbated over the past few years. I was lucky enough to meet one of our panelists, Dayan Tal, at a workshop in Tunis last December, and while we were there I was struck Uh, not by what made disinformation specific to the Middle East, Europe, and, and the United States different, but rather that it was a uniting trend. We are all dealing with an unprecedented onslaught of information from both legacy and social media, and at the same time, local news is atrophying, and people are looking to fill that gap. And the remaining newsrooms, are struggling to find new and innovative ways to connect with their audiences, but also to make money, to break even. And this is an environment in which disinformation flourishes and thrives, and we're all experiencing it. And that, of course, has never been more true than during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, You know, we're all dealing with the same thing at the same time. And though the narratives across borders might differ slightly, no matter where we, live, we're dealing with uncertainty and fear. We're all united in that and we're all attempting to fill that informational void that the pandemic presents. And of course, bad actors, be they Russia, China, Iran, or politicians potentially using the crisis to score political points, or I think it's important to note lots of, you know, internet hucksters trying to exploit um, this crisis for monetary gain by selling snake oil cures they're all attempting to weaponize and exploit it. Um, and I thought it was interesting in uh, Congresswoman Harmon and Marissa's remarks that you know there is a uniting narrative in the region that I study and also in Nina about you know the fact that the US somehow created this virus this alleged theory. Um, so that's uniting us as well and and everyone is using you know these uh the fissures and the uncertainty around this crisis to push Uh, The narrative that is most important for them at that moment. And I think that's why I've been advocating for what I call informational distancing. Uh, We have social distancing right now. I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, disinformation when it works best is, is emotional. And so when you feel yourself getting emotional or um, whether that's you know questioning something, uh, being extremely angry about something, or if you're still able to feel joy, that that would count as well. Uh, I, I encourage you to put your device down, um, walk away, and allow yourself to cool off before you know. Uh, doing some basic fact checking um, and, you know, seeing if things are being reported elsewhere, Um, doing, you know, a reverse image search in order to check this information, Um, and not just reacting and sharing in the moment while you're still heated. And so, with all that in mind, I thought it would be useful to go over some of the terms that you might hear today. They often get confused or misused when discussing online influence and information campaigns, and I think it's extremely important that we are Uh, accurate in what we're talking about. So disinformation is the use of false or misleading narratives with malign intent. Uh, And as I said, it works best when it's grounded in a kernel of emotional visceral truth. It's not just straight up fake news, quote unquote. Um, And it doesn't necessarily present people with narratives that they've never considered before, especially today in the age of social media, it's possible to target users with narratives that they are going to be uniquely vulnerable to because we have information about how to send that message directly to them thanks to all the information that social media companies collect on us. On the other hand, we have misinformation, which is when false information is shared without that malign intent. Um, You can think of your you know, slightly loony relatives who'd like to send chain emails or forward you uh, spurious WhatsApp messages or post crazy things on social media, that's misinformation. I don't think they have any uh, foreign policy goals behind that, for instance. But then we've got propaganda, which isn't necessarily false information. Rather, it's information that is shared and cast in a light that is supportive of a specific country's policy goals. So with that, I'll turn to Russia and give a few examples. Um, recently, we have, for instance, disinformation that Russia is spreading about Uh, NATO soldiers in Europe who they say are infected with COVID-19. That would be disinformation. But then we saw Russia making uh, good use of propaganda in the COVID crisis when it sent a plane full of supplies to New York, uh, PPE and ventilators. And then on the Russian state-sponsored news networks for the next several weeks, we're talking about how Russia provided the United States with aid. That would be propaganda. And then two more terms which come up a lot when we're discussing these issues, bots and trolls. The difference is subtle. Bots are automated accounts controlled by computer code that, you know, in the thousands of accounts, um, someone can send out a message. Uh, and again, these are all automated. The difference between a bot and a troll is that behind a troll account, although there, there might be one person controlling many of them, it's you know, an actual person. It's not controlled by uh, computer code. And both of them are used to give the guise of support and prominence to a topic. So, again, these are global trends that are going to require global solutions that are based in respect for freedom of expression, human rights, and democratic norms. And as we think about how to counter disinformation, I always think it's incredibly useful to learn about how it works in other regions. And that's why I'm delighted to learn from two experts who are going to speak more today about disinformation trends, trust, and solutions to the infodemic in the MENA region. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Bayan and then to Faisal to share their short opening statements and we'll dive into Q&A. As a reminder, if you have a question, you can press star one to enter the queue. Bayan, it is over to you now. Thank you, Nina. Thank
3: you so much, and congratulations on your book. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, Mirissa, you and I go back a long way, and I'm really proud of what you're doing. Faisal, I'm really happy to be sharing this panel with you, and Congresswoman Harmon, thank you so much for hosting us and for your work uh, globally and in the NINA region. I will start with the question, why do people share misinformation? Um, To put this into perspective, I think it's it's, it's important to note how um, people uh, with multiple surveys, people in the region, we know that they do not trust governments, the media, and parliaments. And so misinformation also, we know, plays on people's emotions and confirmation biases. So um, uh, especially young people turn to social media for information and for sharing information, and they became empowered because they're sitting behind a, um, a screen, and and they feel they can share whatever they want. And in the process, we're actually sharing a lot of information, uh, misinformation, and disinformation without understanding the repercussions. Which brings us to how we can. Tackle this, and uh, what we started, uh, and, it, uh, and especially, uh, in, it, it is important here to note uh, uh, how it is important to introduce uh, media and information literacy, so people understand how the media works and uh, you know how messages are constructed, uh, and so they are also able to appreciate ethics associated with. Uh, 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 consumption and production of media and respecting the privacy and dignity of individuals, as well as identifying, you know, racism, hate speech, and other violations. So uh, we started with uh, an an initiative in 2014 at the Jordan Media Institute uh, called Akiz, which means sure. It's a fact-checking media monitoring uh, portal uh, and uh, that's been uh, working uh, since then and has, uh, is actually listed on the Duke University's Reporters Lab uh, as part of a, a database of 80 uh, countries. And in 2016, we started with the uh, Media and Information Literacy Project. It was in, the, in cooperation with UNESCO and it was uh, um, rolled out to uh, um, the schools, universities, youth centers, and uh, uh, the public sphere. This was uh, um, extremely important and uh, uh, included at, and uh, uh, in partnership with the local, regional, and international uh, uh, organizations. Um, uh, the government of Jordan uh, was uh, so impressed with the work we were doing. Um, We became partners, and we're now uh, implementing the national initiative that was adopted by the government uh, uh, that will uh, introduce these uh, skills and competencies into uh, schools, universities, and uh, uh, the public uh, sphere. Um, our partnerships uh, uh, internationally, we are very proud with uh, uh, our partnership with the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Uh, we're doing a project with, it is funded by Carnegie, we're doing a project with CBS, uh, uh, modeling the project they do, uh, student reporting labs, which helps the students become um, uh, kind of reporters and they produce reports after trained, uh, being trained on uh, uh, using the camera and all that and they, uh, their, their reports are broadcast on national media and this is what we're doing in Jordan. We also have other partnerships with Dolce Welle Academy and others. This is very important in Actually, with the material we produce and the skills and the, uh, everything that is uh, uh, produced, is the, uh, we're hoping to uh, put online uh, so that it is available not just to, for Jordanians, but also for our Arab and international partners. And I think this is uh, very important at this time, especially with the spread of disinformation during this uh, uh, pandemic, and uh, uh, it's important to note here that um, uh, being, uh, international uh, cooperation is crucial in uh, tackling this and uh, in, in fighting
2: this battle. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much, Bayan. Faisal,
4: over to you.
5: Uh, thank you so much all uh, for having me and a great uh, talk there. That's, that's really important. And for my case, I mean, I'm, I'm originally from Iraq, and I think Iraq is a pretty unique case on the misinformation situation. Uh, Iraq moved from <clears throat> the regime of Saddam Hussein, in which is kind comparable to 1984, in which there are only two sources of information owned by the government, to kind of post-U.S. Uh, intervention, in which we became having 1,000 channels and, and newspapers, and, and add to that the layer of, of social media that got introduced uh, over time. And and that's where, me personally, I started getting involved in the blogosphere uh, in Iraq in post-U.S. war, and uh, long story short is how I ended up on a death list that brought me here to America as a refugee as of 2013. So the subject of misinformation is, is definitely very personal to me as I saw. Uh, many of the conspiracies spread by militias uh, in my neighborhood or the west, west part of Baghdad would come from, uh, in which I, it was used to exploit the vulnerability of, of many of the young people or even the general public and move them into a specific direction uh, of, of joining a, a militia or joining uh, other non-state actors. So I, when I started Kids in America, I started this organization um ideas which uh, call ideas Beyond Borders, and it has its main program called Beit Al hikmah 2.0 which is named after the House of Wisdom in Baghdad that used to be a place for for knowledge and and, and enlightenment and the the main kind of mission of the organization is that we try to provide a positive alternative to to extremism to misinformation and, and censorship that exists not just in Iraq but but, uh, but around the region and and the way we do that is that we We share, translate, and promote ideas that foster critical thinking, civil, human rights, science, pluralism, and more. Uh, I started the team, I I merged a lot of groups that were already existing in the social media sphere in the Arab world, um, making up of um, of 4.5 million followers uh, on social media. And that's why we became kind of very equipped in this kind of conflict against um, misinformation-disinformation. Uh, Assemble a team of translators of of 120 people all across the region, uh, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and others, who are focused and and specialized in some cases in translating public health information and and, uh, critical thinking articles that make them available on the internet for free. Uh, Add to the to the articles, we also translate books. We by by now translate about 15 books, and we have also short video content that we create about one to two minutes to make sure that they are accessible to as many people um, as humanly possible for a small nonprofit can do. So uh, what we have a lot lots lot of our research, especially when it comes relating to this COVID um, information, is that there is very little uh, content in science and public health information available in Arabic on the Internet. And through that, we started that the task force of people who are from medical backgrounds uh, in their respective countries, whether it's in, in Iraq, Jordan, others, who know the, the, the scientific lingo and also know medical lingo and, and turn it and translate uh, these articles and make them available in Arabic and also make them simple for people uh, to understand. We've had a pretty good success uh, because it shows that now because many, everybody is now searching, uh, corona, searching for coronavirus and because Wikipedia also happens to be the first thing that also shows up on the Google search, including in the Arab world, we have partnered also with Wikipedia Levant and Wikipedia Arabic make sure that all of the articles on Wikipedia about coronavirus are well scientifically referenced and, and are, are easy for many people to understand. So, I mean, the, everything that, that we do right now uh, about coronavirus can also has been applied before on other uh, forums because I believe that uh, critical thinking and, 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 and uh, getting accessible actual scientific information is a vaccine against, um, speaking of corona, it's, it's really a vaccine against all forms of misinformation and fake news uh, and, 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 and all, all forms of, of, of extremist uh, propaganda. So um, I'm really happy to join this conversation. I'm sure we're going to go into a lot of examples and uh, so happy to be here.
2: Thank you so much, Faisal. You guys are both doing such fascinating and critical work at this moment. We are so lucky to have you here. I would like to turn it over to Congresswoman Harmon for the first question uh, for her presidential prerogative. And then um, if you have other questions that are coming up, again, please press star one, and we'll get to you in the queue in just a bit.
1: Congresswoman Harmon. All okay. right. Well, thank, thank you very much. I love this new term that I had never heard, informational distancing. And I'm going to practice it. I'm going to put my cell phone down, or the, the alternative is throw it against the wall. At least once a day, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm extremely grateful, uh, to Team Wilson for teaching me something today. Uh, my question is, well, first of all, a comment and then a question. Uh, I, w- I was saying to, to, uh, uh, Bayan that, uh, I was very impressed, um, a couple weeks ago when His Majesty King Abdullah wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post talking about the need for re-globalization. I think that's a great message. And, of course, it would come from the leader of Jordan. Jordan has so many people who are adding so much, it seems to me, uh, to our world, uh, especially in the technology area. And uh, I thought your presentation, Bayan, was excellent today. So uh, please commend uh, my friend. I'm sure he's your friend, too, uh, your king. Uh, here's, here's my question. My question is, uh, how do you get this to scale? Uh, I understand that social media can reach millions of people, you know, very quickly, but how do you get what you're doing into people's heads uh, quickly enough so they don't believe uh, the counter and false messaging that they're getting um, through all the the techniques that you described?
3: Thank you, Mom. Um... And thank you for those nice words about our King and Jordan. Um, we, it, 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 what we do is um, it's education, 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 like everybody says. And it's, um, if it is uh, uh, integrated into the curriculum and is part of the system and it becomes part of our culture because it's a way of life. Media and information literacy is a way of life. Uh, people uh, should always question what they read. Uh, and should always have the skill to be able to uh, differentiate between a story and an opinion, or an, a story and an ad. Uh, and, and, and we've seen through uh, uh, research that a lot of young people, including adults, sometimes do not uh, cannot tell the difference. So uh, uh, and the verification. So it's just it's, it's as simple as thinking. Before you share, just think about what you're sharing. Um, is it is it something that is um, that appeals to your emotions? Is it outrageous? Is it um, it's, it's too exaggerated? And and then before you uh, share, also consider uh, the, ty- the the headlines because headlines can be very manipulative. Uh, uh, check out the story itself. Open that link and look at the content. Uh, Check out the date because a lot of the disinformation and misinformation shared um, uh, 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 is usually sometimes old. Uh, Check out the author of that. The the sources involved uh, are they uh, identified with clear uh, uh, names and uh, and uh, and specialties. Um, always look for um, uh, the, the the source of that story. Is it is it uh, a, 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 an organization or an outlet that you know that is credible that you've never heard of? Um, copy, take a, a, at least just some text of that story. Copy it, paste it on, and search on Google. You will find if it is available in other uh, organizations. You will see that it is. Um, uh, then it is okay, or, or if not. So always have that critical uh, mind when uh, dealing with information. This is what we teach our students. It's um, Also, we do it interactively. Uh, there's a lot of uh, exercises, which is very attractive to them. And so they become involved. And it's something that they they deal with on a daily basis. We've seen how important the parents got interested in this because of the we, we met a couple of times with their parents, and they were looking for that. They were saying that they needed more. They needed these skills as well, and would love to for us to, to to share that with them. They were so happy with the change it was uh, actually making uh, to the uh, to their children, because these students were becoming more aware of, of the material they're uh, receiving. They're more uh, they're more uh, uh, um, confident. They become active participants in their school environments and in the neighborhoods because we teach them how to make um, photo essays and how to produce videos. They're, exp- they're able to express themselves. And so um, they're empowered. And so the, the shift, the change that we see in the, in the groups that we work with is so important and so um, uh, critical, especially at this time.
2: Great. Thank you, Bayan. Faisal, do you have anything to add to that?
5: Yes, definitely. I mean, on, on the scaling uh, question, I mean, that's, as, a, as a nonprofit organization, that's definitely something that we, we always have to deal with. Uh, and, I mean, when we started my, my organization, I mean, we started with zero followers on social media, and that is out of April uh, 2017. Now we have 4.5 million followers on social media, and that's 2020. And our goal is in, within the next five or, or ten years is to expand by by the rate of at least one million followers on, on, on Facebook a year. Um, the demand for for such content, I mean, for for the kind of the the, the scientific alternative or, or let's say the more critical thinking oriented um, alternative is definitely there. I mean, I can see from um, constant consumption of our content from um, especially now on the coronavirus. Uh, some videos get 1 million views, some get two point two million views, and it shows that the demand is there, and and there is a huge opportunity uh, for us to, to scale as an organization, but also to partner with other organizations who also have um, uh, audience within the, the target um, uh, region. I mean, Arab world, uh, Middle East in general, have, have a very young population, so many of the people are hooked to social media, and within social media, there is that... Opportunity of, of targeting um, those who had been exposed, for example, to conspiracy theories before, or those who could be seeking information that is alternative uh, to what what is out there. Um, so, I mean, we're kind of more on the practitioner side, so we, we do a lot of A/B testing. Uh, we try to make sure that we create content that is relevant. And I, I mean, and so far, all of the evidence suggests that people are seeking that content. People are looking for it and it, uh, we have to constantly create content to make sure that, that there is engagement, that this con- content resonates. When, when the COVID-19 situation happened and we kind of started early, we started, we know that the conspiracies were starting to, to go through, we started out of April uh, of creating content that is about uh, COVID-19 that makes sure that it's scientifically accurate and, and, and evidence-based. and. Um, In in the case of many, I'm sure it's not going to be the end of of fake news, I I highly recommend that we have to act pretty early before all of the other sources uh, dominate.
2: I totally agree with that. You know, I, I often am advocating for media literacy and information literacy programs to be started. Uh, in, you know, more earnest here in the United States, and people will ask me, you know, what is that going to do about the problem now? But I think it's a generational investment, and it's clear that both of you are, are having success um, with those programs, which have scaled to a really incredible degree. Um, in, in that vein, I want to ask both of you What do you think um, are the best ways to approach your friends and family when they have shared something that might be incorrect or misleading? I'm sure there are some, uh, you know, some regional or cultural differences across the region with this, and I think the same thing is true for the United States and Europe as well. But what do you think are those best practices? There was an article in Forbes the other day talking about the pandemic video that has been spreading here in the United States and it encouraged people um, to confront uh, the, the folks that were posting that in the comments um, on their social media profiles. And I personally found in, in my work that that is not a really great uh, way to go because people tend to dig in publicly on those uh, those opinions that they have when they're being challenged in public. So I'm interested um if you think there are any best practices for practicing media literacy and in in uh encouraging awareness on a more personal level let's go uh to Bayan first yeah most of my
3: friends and family are already media literate, media literate. so um uh, yeah, because when when they share something, and uh, in Jordan, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of Jordanians are actually receiving uh, the misinformation and disinformation from WhatsApp groups and uh, Facebook. So uh, many Jordanians are on Facebook, but these WhatsApp groups are just a nightmare and the stuff that is shared on these groups. So I, this gives me an opportunity. Naturally, I do not, when I see a post on one of the groups I'm on, um, I, I address that person directly. I either call that person or send the, him or her a message and say, are you sure this is uh, a, a correct story? Uh, where did you get this, for example? And then the minute I ask that question, it, they they start to realize that. So. They, they I, I received two two reactions. One is, oh, my God, thank you so much for letting me know. Uh, I've had a couple of friends who actually uh, deleted some of their tweets because I noticed um, it, there was it, an inherent racism in someone, and I know these people are not racist. So when I talked to her, she says, oh, my God, I'm so glad you I didn't, I, that's not what I meant. So I said, yeah, but this is, the way it was constructed. So, and then they start to realize um, the impact of these messages. And so, they, so, the reactions I get is one, they're grateful and they thank, and, and um, they either take action and immediately delete this. Uh, the other is denial. And, or, or they become defensive. And they're like, oh no, that's not what I meant, it's okay. And Or it's the, the, the other reaction is, um, uh, yeah, but the intention. Okay, it might be a fake uh, story, but really, what I meant was the the message behind. And I'm like, you can do, you can make a message without having to share a fake story. If you want to, you know, uh, to share some words of wisdom, it doesn't have to be through a fake story. So it's these things, and with the uh, media monitoring uh, uh, with the fact-checkers we we work with at uh, the accused uh, uh, portal, um, when they identify um, a, a violation online and uh, when a story is fake and it is being circulated by uh, news website, they do the report and they they post a link to that story. They don't mention the name of the uh, uh, of the of the news uh, um, website, but they post the link to it so people can see it on that website. Uh, and once we publish the report, when we li- click on the link, the story is already deleted. They realize they've made a mistake. They delete the story, but do not publish uh, uh, either. Uh, Uh, an apology or a rebuttal or uh, when a a story, for example, is denied by the government or something, they do not post that. So the misinformation or disinformation is spread really quickly, but a lot of um, uh, people and uh, organizations do not uh, um, post the denial or or do not admit that they made a mistake. And that is something that we need to deal with as journalists, and it's important here to, um, to bring down, to uh, refocus our work on as, as journalists on the, uh, the need to um, uh, hold other journalists to account uh, in addition to our work in uh, holding the government accountable and other organizations just so we
2: protect uh, our profession. Great. Thank you so much, Bayan. And Faisal, um, I'm wondering, I'd like you to comment on the first question as well, but also, uh, you know, the responsibility that Bayan just t- touched on of, of journalists and combating uh, dis and misinformation, if you would.
6: Yes,
5: definitely. Um, I mean, I, I'm, unfortunately, I mean, the, I, my, my Facebook friends, especially my high school friends, are constantly sharing uh, uh, lots of, of conspiracies. I, I, the way I look at conspiracies, I mean, it's First, we have to ask the question, why do people believe them, and why in some cases they are mainstream, at least in, in some, of, of some of the regions in the world. And what they do is that they offer a very simple understanding of how the world works. And they try to kind of create this confidence that you know more about the world than most people do. And you have this mysterious information that that if, that if the fact that you are able to access it makes you uh, much stronger and smarter. And th- the main thing that I try to tackle professionally or personally is really remove the mystery about the, vaccine, the, the the COVID-19. That this is the pandemic is not something that the first time it happened. It happened multiple times before. The, the, the I can talk about, I mean, the, the al which is the plague, is, is a very known uh, event uh, for uh, many people in the Middle East. They know what the plague is. So I can tell them it's like this is there is nothing really mysterious about coronavirus. It's a, it's a pandemic, yes, you're staying at home, and there are obviously tough measures that are being applied today compared to what we had before, but there is really nothing mysterious. And I think tackling and removing that mystery away from, from the, 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 the the subject um, has really been effective in, in, in my way. So that way now, I'm removing that confidence of someone knowing that they know about something mysterious. If I just tackle, and remove the, the illusion of, of, of mystery about it. And the, the way also is that to look, look at like conspiracy theories in the region, I would say it's more of a mentality than, than just um, um, that something that they take once in a while. I mean, conspiracies have been spread about pretty much everything. Um, and at, well, we can go into causes for, for hours. And the, the explanation generally I, I try to, to give is, is that well, I have thought that being effective in, in my case is that to show that the source of a conspiracy is a conspiracy. Uh, so in that way, kind of uh, use the, the mentality against itself. And that's why it's kind of, the mentality is kind of self-destructive. It's kind of been used in some cases, even in U.S. cases, when, when, when somebody was accu- accusing Alex Jones of working for the CIA. And because Alex Jones was not able to, if he's going to use the same logic of, of, of saying that he doesn't work for the CIA, it actually doesn't work because he's using the same logic for saying it's worked for the CIA. So that's one of the things that can also be used, is that you, you can use the conspiracy theory mentality against yourself because the moment there is no evidence necessary to make a claim, then you can really play around with words to make sure to, to, to actually flip it around. Um, in, in terms of, and, and this has been both successful, uh, I'd and professionally, also government explaining things in simple terms. Whether, because, I mean, we assume that, that many people know what even a vaccine is, or what is the process of finding a vaccine. One of the materials that we have created is really to show that it's really complicated to create a vaccine. It doesn't take a week or two for, you to, for, for a vaccine to be discovered. And that's why you have to be very cautious about all the stories that are telling you that the vaccine is being created right now. Um, so going as much simple as possible for the for, for, uh, for general public is, is it's the wise thing to do because not many people are experts nor know about these subjects uh pretty well. On on the responsibility of journalists, I mean it's it's definitely more important now uh than ever of 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 journalists to to avoid um engaging in, in any form of, of sensational or or, uh, or biased uh, reporting. Um in in, in the case of, of Iraq there has been a lot of initiatives that uh, came up recently. I mean, there is one called Tech for Peace, uh, which is a, a group of youth that try to recruit some of veteran journalists that work with Iraqi media, and, and some of them have a, a lot of uh, kind of expertise. Really, growing up in, in the 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 misinformation, the uh, misinformation environment that most of us grew up in over there, to really educate the public, and they have been pretty successful as well in really getting. Uh, they they have a very easy kind of way explaining. They show that. The source of how how is it uh, how the real post and the fake post and they they really t- try to tackle as many things that are trending so in that way they try to remain as relevant as possible without uh being sensational um so that I would say they have been pretty successful example on, on uh, of, of kind of journalism of kind of veteran journalists who work in 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 the in Iraq and elsewhere to really use their skills and really use their evidence-based reporting to be tackling this specific conspiracies but also um, other conspiracies as well.
2: Great. Thank you. So I'm going to ask one more question and then we're going to move to questions on the line. And as a reminder, if you have a question you can uh, press Star. Uh, oh, geez, what is it? <laughs> Star one. Sorry about that. Star one to enter the queue. Um, both of you touched a little bit on uh, international cooperation in order to beat uh, disinformation or to defeat it. Um, I'm wondering, especially, what you think are the obligations, considering that the social media platforms are housed here, most of them housed here in the United States. Uh, what are the obligations that or if you could make one wish, how about this way, if you could make one wish either for the U.S. government or for social media platforms or potentially international organizations as well, um, that if you waved your magic wand, it would really help your work against combating uh, disinformation. What would that be? Uh, Faisal, let's start with you.
5: Thank you. Um, I, I would say I mean, my, my wish definitely would be for, for more social media companies because I think that the, Mistrust in, in government is very common in the Middle East, so any solution from the government might might not work at all um, Is that I mean obviously that might sound idealistic, but the best way to, to combat uh, bad ideas is spread good ideas and The responsibility of I would say for social media, and I think they're kind of being engaging in that right now uh, on a much smaller scale is to really support the projects of media literacy that that Bayan is leading or 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 other groups like what Tech for Peace is leading is try to make that the, the media literacy organizations and, and the organizations that are spreading scientifically accurate information to be at, at least favorited uh, in the social media, favor, sorry, in, in the social media sphere compared to, to, to the other uh, sources of misinformation. I, I don't believe that even though there are many attempts to kind of ban sources of misinformation or or censor some of them, um, there's a possibility that, that also might backfire because the moment you censor the conspiracy theorist himself, he will feel more stronger and will say, "Look, there is a, look at all of the evil companies and the corporations and the, and the government trying to censor me." So in a way, there's a possibility that censoring these sources of misinformation might actually invalidate the fact that there is an international conspiracy against them. So I'm, I'm my my Lewis, wish, and we're having conversation of, with Facebook. Uh, and I had a conversation with Google as well to really figure out a way in which if if, if whether it 's our organization or others to be kind of some of the trusted partners uh, of the organizations in the Middle East that in order to to kind of redirect many people in the youth, not necessarily just to, to see our content but rather get to know the basics of media literacy of critical thinking that in which they can vaccinate themselves and then when they Go to the Wild West of the, of the news feed and, and the Twitter feed, mm-hmm. they are equipped with the skills um, that they will be differentiate between uh, a sensational headline and, and, and an actual reporting, no matter how boring the actual reporting might get. It, it, you can definitely favor it as it, it is the source of, of of real information compared to the one that tried to play with the emotion. So I would say my, my wish mark goes towards the the, the social media companies um, first, because I think that's, as we've all mentioned in this conversation, that this is where lots of this misinformation is spreading uh, these days, and that's what many of the youth are being exposed to um, on, on hourly basis.
2: Great, and, uh, and Bayan, your wish. Yes yeah. <laughs> thanks, Nina. When um
3: my wish is to actually uh, make uh, media and information literacy skills available to everyone, and uh, this is where uh, a lot of support can come from, um, uh, from international cooperation with uh, organizations that have experience in that field, but also, it is also important, you mentioned the U.S. government. Um, uh, this part of the world is, is dependent a lot on uh, U.S. support, and um, uh, the U.S. is involved in a lot of projects in our part of the world. Uh, and so I think it's important for the, uh, um, these organizations to support uh, uh, civil society organizations in our part of the world, uh, especially groups that are working uh, in the field. And uh, first hand, they have uh, uh, impact, uh, uh, immediate impact through the, the programs that they uh, uh, that they promote uh, is organizations that support uh, media and information literacy, uh, uh, freedom of expression, uh, press freedom, um, and uh, it's important uh, to uh, also support the government. I think it's, uh, uh, these are critical times, and uh, in Jordan in particular, we've seen uh, the government uh, take a, a very positive approach to the crisis, Because we know the crisis, in any crisis, the first victim is the the truth Uh, but the government has uh, uh, been very active on that front, providing the truth, they've been very transparent and I think it's important for international organizations to encourage governments to be transparent and to, uh, um, uh, to make information available because without access to information, uh, citizens will must be informed uh, to be able to make uh, intelligent uh, decisions. So, um, uh, supporting the government in continuing and in uh, um, uh, in capitalizing on the openness and the uh, uh, transparency that we, we have seen uh, from the beginning of the crisis.
2: Thank you so much, Bayan. Um We're going to move to questions from our callers now. Um, first, we have Inez Madoui from IREX on
4: the line. Oh, uh, hi. Uh, my question is basically um, to um, to everyone, but basically I would like uh, – first, I would like to introduce myself. I work with um international organization, IREX, International Research and Exchange Board, uh, and one of our programs is um, Learn to Discern, which is a media literacy program. So my question um, is particularly about the um, the program in Jordan. Um, apart from the government, what other organizations or who which which base main uh, organizations that are involved in the media literacy or in um, um, let's say training these youth to become resilient to misinformation?
2: Great, Bayan.
3: Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, IREX is actually involved in Jordan. Uh, I, I think they have a program called Learn uh, to Discern, uh, and they, uh, they work with uh, youth uh, on um, mostly verification, uh, and, and they're doing excellent work. Um, other organizations that are ex- uh, involved uh, include UNESCO. Uh, The the first project that was actually started in Jordan, we we did that in partnership with UNESCO, and it was funded by the European Union. Uh, UNESCO have a lot of material on media and information literacy and are uh, um, uh, very active in many parts of the world. Um, Frankly, I can't think of any other organization. We see small projects here and there, But on the national scale that we're working on, I don't see uh, other than the Jordan Media Institute uh, doing the work, especially because we integrated it into the curriculum in Jordan. Um, uh, I think we're very lucky in, in this part of the world because the government has been so supportive of this project they were the, the ones to actually allow us to go into schools and to, uh, to, uh, to introduce it into curriculum. And universities, we worked with two universities, and now we have two universities teaching media and information literacy. And I think we are the first in the region to do that. So it's, uh, it's this partnership between civil society organizations like ourselves and, uh, and nonprofit organizations like ourselves and, and the government in making this happen and on such a large scale
2: Great, thank you. Our next question will be from Golfo Alexipoulos in the University of South Florida.
0: Golfo? Yes, hi. I, uh, you actually asked me a version of my question, but I just wanted to know, are there politicians and activists in the region that are advocating laws that would regulate social media companies like we regulate news organizations? Uh, there was some discussion of that in the state.
5: Thanks. Why don't we give that Actually, to myself no. first? Um, g- great question. I mean, not in the, the use of social media in, in in Iraq, I would say, and also could be in other around the Arab world, is that because most of the the information is really coming from states and and, and state-controlled media in a way, social media has became the place for. Really, facts and 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 uh, uh, many cases uh, the liberal liberal ideals being spreading. So, if, if you talk to many of the Iraqi protesters who, who went against uh, the, the latest uh, government, you'll see that many of them are advocates for freedom of speech and and, and even many cases of human rights and women's rights and all of that. They will tell you, please don't censor social media nor give the power to any state uh, in the Middle East, uh, the, the power to do censor uh, any form of social media because it might be used uh, against many of the freedom fighters. Um, so it's, it's um, I mean, my, my experience and my my work with, with a lot of local groups over there, they are using social media a lot for good. Uh, the, and, it, and definitely um, it's, it's the, the, the case of, of bad misinformation being used for bad. Um, it's really difficult because many of that uh, information is coming from the sta- the states within the region. So if you give the power to the state to, to, within the region to do the regulation, then, then then you know what are the people who are going to be censored. So uh, it's okay. a very uh, difficult uh, place to be because it, we definitely do want this misinformation not to spread. But at the same time, the social media uh, atmosphere has provided a lot of place for civil debate, for conversation, uh, for many bloggers to actually see what's really really happening um, and not allow just a a state, in many cases authoritarian, to be one dictating what's true and what's false.
2: Great. And
3: then Bayan. I'm not sure if I understood the question right, did you mean they regulate the uh, uh, was this in, in reference to uh, Facebook and, and other yes, platforms? Yes, in reference actually, to social media, I believe. Yeah. yeah yes. Um, actually, um, uh, we 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 have several uh, several um, laws that try to uh, control uh, uh, speech on on social media platforms. Um, but the thing is, it's, um, it's very difficult to control. And uh, I mean, it, it, I, I, I do support controlling in terms of the minimizing and uh, stopping the spread of hate speech and racism online. And we're seeing an increase in that. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so regulating it uh, is, uh, can be a two-edged sword. Uh, because governments tend to use it to suppress free speech, uh, but not really control hate speech and uh, and racism. So um, I think in this case, it's important for people to be aware of um, hate speech and racism and uh, and bullying online and uh, having the, the skills to identify it and to stop it. Uh, because we need active uh, participants online who will will actually stop this or, or um, make sure that uh, they report uh, such uh, uh, violations. Uh, it's also important for uh, the journalists to also take control because if we don't, then we have uh, a problem with uh, regulation again. And I'm really not pro-regulating uh, 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 or introducing more laws to suppress uh, freedoms of expression. And uh, uh, so this is where uh, the responsibility of journalists come in to self-regulate and uh, hold each other accountable so we don't uh, um, give an excuse to governments to, to control and suppress uh, the media. Thank Great, you.
2: thank you. Um, and next in the queue, we have Hassad Al-Ghawwal from Johns Hopkins University.
6: Yes, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm a senior fellow at Johns Hopkins, and my interest is in the MENA region. My question is um, a little bit counter to, to the issue of, of legal movements in the Middle East, because I'm, I'm very skeptical that the governments there uh, have the right intentions when, when they try to move on restricting information it tends to work opposite uh, to the intention, which is to actually eliminate opposition online. And a lot of the misinformation in the region actually comes from governments um, for for their own purposes or disinformation. I I wonder how how are you guys in the region seeing that and the role of the governments in actually uh, making things worse rather than better? Thank you.
2: Thank you. Let's go to Bayan first. Um, actually, now
3: in, in our part of the world the, the media is mostly controlled by governments, owned by governments. We have very few independent media organisations and they are struggling. and uh, even the uh, state owned media is struggling now. We have uh, financial issues with two of the major newspapers in Jordan. Uh, one in, even independent newspaper has been unable to pay salaries for for a month or two. Uh, So we do have this issue with uh, with uh, with the media. Uh, There's also talk about uh, um, uh, uh, grouping the uh, state-owned media uh, into one organization and then having one umbrella for all of them and and all that. I think it's. The the, the thing is, that's why I talked about uh, the importance of supporting independent media and civil society organizations. Uh, We have generations who grew up uh, uh, not really uh, understanding what um, professional media is. We have a mixture of uh, propaganda and controlled uh, messages, uh, and then we, we have the pan-Arab media that is also very polarized. And, and so we don't have independent, professional public service. I, I like to promote public service media because this is the best solution to uh, the the money that is out there because a lot of these organizations are funded either by business people or by government, so we don't have proper public service media. And unless we do, uh, we will continue to see this polarization. We will continue to see governments trying to control the media. Uh, we will continue to see um, even independent organizations that also have their own uh, agendas and, and want to promote their own uh, businesses or uh, uh, ideologies and all that. So. Uh, the best solution, in my view, is to actually um, provide people, especially uh, a, a new generation uh, of young uh, Arabs with the, uh, um, with the knowledge of what good media is, with the knowledge of, uh, of the critical uh, thinking that we need in, either in, in, in consuming media. If they do that, if they get these skills, they will be able to know which is uh, good media and which is not, which media is, is being led by whatever organization or ideology. And then they can decide for themselves how to consume and how uh, they, they will also be able to produce their own media. I mean, it's it's a, it's, it's an open uh, out there. Uh, people will be... Uh, are able to express themselves, to have their own accounts, to to do their own campaigns. And if we give them the skills to do that, then they will not need to be restricted by whatever regulation or legislation or otherwise. But it's very important that they appreciate and understand what good media is, what professional journalism is. And this is something that is lacking, and we need help with that.
2: Thank you so much, Bayan. Just a quick note, everyone, uh, it is 11 o'clock. We understand if you have other engagements, but we've extended the call for 10 minutes so we can get to the last three questions. Um, and just one note, I do think that, you know, Bayan, that's not only in Jordan, what you were just saying, it's, uh, it's we need an appreciation <laughs> for, for media all over the world and certainly here in the United States as well. Okay, our next question is from Anne
4: Stewart at the Foreign Policy Institute. Anne? Oh hi. Um yes, it's the I'm I'm actually a uh, contract hi, uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Um Okay. I'm I uh I'm actually a uh a retired foreign service officer now uh working uh at the Foreign Service Institute, not foreign policy institute. <laughs> so um and I teach a course on environment science, technology and health. And so before COVID, we were working with, you know, things like uh, the disinformation surrounding, for example, vaccines or biotech, GMOs, that kind of thing. And how do you talk to governments and interlocutors about those issues? And, of course, now we have this whole overlay of of disinformation on uh, COVID. Uh, My question uh, is, what uh, is the role for better or worse, for good or evil, of the religious institutions, um, which can be such a could be such a, an, um, uh, a, a way to get out proper information but usually is a way to help manipulate society uh, how do we address uh, the how do we get religious leaders to be responsible um, uh, Promulgators of correct information.
2: Thank you. Uh, We'll turn to Faisal for that, and let's try to keep our answers a little short, since we're going to try to hit the next uh, two questions in in eight minutes.
5: Faisal? Definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was going to talk about the Iraq context. I mean, religious leaders generally tend to be amazingly politicized. So, I mean, during this. Situation is, uh, I mean, we have the main leader Muqtada Sadr, who's followed by by billions of people, many on the younger, and then we have Ali Sistani, and then and then there are several of the, ones the Sunni side. Um, mainly, it's, it's been used as a as a kind of a machine to either have an anti-Iran rhetoric uh, in some in some regard, or anti-Saudi rhetoric. Um, so there there has been, and, and obviously, there, I mean, many of them have spread the conspiracy that. Because the virus only hits non-believers and it doesn't uh, hit people who are uh, faithful. So I mean, I I try to remain optimistic uh, that they can definitely play play a positive role. But as of now, uh, they are more propagators of a lot of um, geopolitical warfare than they are propagators of facts.
2: Great, thank you, Bayan. Do you have anything to add?
5: Yes,
3: just quickly. Um, um... We are, uh, in this part of the world, most people are very, or have become very conservative. Um, we, it's also a very patriarchal society. So women, uh, men have the upper hand, and, uh, and, and, and the legislation is not very women-friendly. So um, we we did a, a, actually a series of sessions with Muftis in Jordan, with the Ista'a department, which are, these are the religious, Clerics who who issue fatwas and uh, who also work uh, directly with people, and they they also have their own programs in the media, and so we train them on on communication and media skills, but also media and information literacy, and we introduce the concept of you know gender issues and uh, hate speech and uh, um, racism and and all that, but it's um, it's. It, it's unfortunate because especially during this uh, crisis um, we could see all these um, uh, the ugly face of of this uh, uh, pandemic, which is uh, it's a lot of exclusion, especially in the media and uh, with the official because officials were doing daily briefings. um there was no mention, for example of um uh, a rise in domestic violence. We've seen a rise in domestic violence. No mention yeah. of that by officials. We women were not included in the narrative. Uh, we have uh, female doctors and nurses and the uh, lab technicians, and they were not part of the heroes that that people were or the media or officials were talking about. Uh, refugees were ignored as well, and uh, so um, you know, um, migrant workers and. Uh, uh, uh and and it's unfortunate uh but it, but we will we will continue to 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 fight this and uh, we try to come up with uh, a series of of uh, of articles about women and their participation and their contribution during this crisis the majority of teachers are women and they're all working online helping students uh, across the country And so, um, uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, this is the reality in this part of the world, and uh, much, much work needs to be done ahead of us.
2: Great. Thank you. I think this is going to be our last question today, and it's going to go to Rohit Kandala from SB Digital. Rohit, are you still on the line?
7: Oh, so sorry. I was on mute. I apologize. Uh, yeah. So I work with political campaigns on the Democratic side, and, um, I, again, new to some of this foreign policy stuff, but, uh, my question had to do with, uh, there's a lot of momentum for companies like Facebook and Google to regulate misinformation and disinformation, um, on their platforms. There's a debate about Section 230, which is, uh, U.S. legislation. Um, I wanted to ask, like, doesn't that give these companies, which are already so big and control so much information flow in general, more power um, when we tell them to regulate misinformation and disinformation? Um, Shouldn't that be the job of, say, another state agency or something like that? And this question is to everyone on the panel.
2: Thank you, Rohit. I will just uh, do a plug for our STIP program before I turn it over to Bayan and Faisal for their thoughts. But we will have a a paper coming out at the end of the summer about comparative approaches to social media regulation around the globe. Um, Okay, let's go to Faisal and then Bayan. Uh, Let's keep it brief one minute and then we'll close everything up. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Faisal.
5: I, my organization have been a great uh, beneficiary of 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 uh, how we can use technology for good. So, I mean, Facebook and other social media companies have been of great help for us. Uh, not not financially, but really, their their tools have been really helpful for us to reach uh, millions of people to to get them access the information that was not accessible before um, in their language. So. I definitely have a lot of positive views uh, on 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 some of these social media companies really helping us reaching areas that we were not uh, we were not able to do before in terms of of giving them more power i mean that's definitely there's all that, there's a lot of philosophical about who regulates the regulator um, but I, I would say in terms of the region um i am' I'm deeply worried that if if any form of of censorship, especially if that advice on censorship on the middle East is coming from states. Uh, officials within the Middle East or within organizations that are affiliated with the state officials, uh, it's very likely that those who will be censored are going to be those who are the women's rights activists and the dissidents and anybody who says something negative against the state. So um, that, that obviously there is a solution that there's no uh, one-size-fits-all solution, so probably America will, have, will need to have a different situation, but, but I'm very worried of any uh, partnership of some sort between any government official in the Middle East and some of these social media companies because it will harm Thanks. the people who need uh, the freedom of speech the most.
2: Great, thank you. And Bayan, uh, quickly your your short thoughts about social media regulations.
3: I I totally agree with Faisal. Um, I think that um, the, um, these platforms should also do their work. They're making millions of dollars, and uh, I think they can contribute in one form or another. Either, you know, support organizations that do uh, such work, uh, or, or um, try to um, uh, find a, find ways to uh, stop at least hate speech and racism uh, uh, on on the online. Um, I think that is part of the that should be part of the, the Uh, Mandate, but I'm not sure involving state agency would be a good uh, option. Uh, uh, But I'm I'm not an expert, so I really can't say more on that. Thank you.
2: Okay, thank you to our distinguished panelists. Thank you to the Middle East Program uh, for the idea for this excellent discussion, and to Congressman Woman Jane Harman for her remarks and participation today. And thank you to all of you for. Uh, joining us. I I hope it was useful for you and we look forward to seeing you at future Ground Truth briefings. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks, Nina. Great moderation. Thank you so much.
3: Thank 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 you, you, Nina.
0: Thank you. That concludes today's conference. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.